The Lord be with you. Most gracious and heavenly Father, we lift up your name. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your being and your glory and your majesty. We thank you for your holiness and your righteousness. And we thank you, God, for your grace. We thank you, Father, for how despite Your holiness and Your righteousness and our unholiness and unrighteousness, that You have bridged the gap towards us uh, with Your incarnate Word, Jesus. and You have paid the price so that we might have unhindered and uninterrupted fellowship with You. That You, uh, right now, as we pray to You, that the same God who said, let there be light, and the same God who uh, raised Jesus from the dead, and the same God who... Uh, spoke to David and the same God who, um, uh, who appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus is the God that we address and the God who loves us. And the God about whom we want to learn. And the God to whom we want to get closer. And so Father, we come just trusting in Your grace and asking You to be our teacher today. We thank You for Your Word that You've given to us and ask that You'll be glorified in our study of it. We ask it all in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Um, I, there are lots of times when I come to class, and I haven't quite gotten all the work done on the class that I want to, but I'm not going to tell you that because that just, like, that just, um, uh, that just sows, sows sort of seeds of wonder and, and, uh, and, um, suspi- not suspicion, but like, you know, maybe a lack of confidence uh, there. I'm just going to tell you, my volunteer job this week uh, took about 30 hours of, of, of my life and, um, and uh, diocesan volunteer stuff. And so, um, and so I, uh, first of all, thank you. So many of you are praying for, for that. And that just has around the bishop stuff. And I'd be happy to talk to you, but not right now, uh, about that. And I will say about that for myself that I really, truly, and I've said this a lot, that I have probably never been so prayed for in my whole life, and that I really, truly feel sustained by that, and I'm so grateful and just ask you to continue to pray uh, for me about that. But um, I did manage to get a sermon done, and, um, and I did manage to see a, people, a couple people about uh, pastoral care. I've got a few thoughts about uh, scribbled down about this passage uh, that we're looking at this morning, and uh, luckily it is some passages that I have something. I feel like I have something to say about, um, but I'm going to be leaning on you and on your uh, interpretation and your understanding of this uh, as well. Now I've got it uh, set up right here, but it looks like our our, our usual audience is um, online is all in the room today. So uh, I think that I think we're good on, on that. So we're coming to, um, so if you'll give me a little grace with it, this might feel a little bit uh, different or less, less authoritative than, than normal, but uh, we are, we're coming, uh, coming on the heels of Jesus talking about finding the lost sheep. Remember this? Uh, this uh, we're in Matthew 18, and um, he's talked about the temptations to sin and woe uh, to the ones through whom they come. You know, you have to welcome the little children and woe to those who... Uh, lead one of these little ones astray. It's like um, it'd be better to have a millstone hung around your neck. All, all of that. And so in the context of that, he told the parable of the lost sheep, which is not about the, the good shepherd 
so much like it is in Luke, uh, where where he just has this heart for the lost, which of course that doesn't mean it's not that, but it's just it really has more to do, I think, with um, making sure that the flock itself keeps the, keeps people from going astray. Um, the context of not leading others astray, and so this theme of reconciliation of caring. Uh, within relationships is, is going to continue. We're still, as far as I can tell, on the banks of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, it seems like, well, why is it taking so long for, the, you know, for them to pack their bags? Like, we're, we've taken four weeks, but it's probably just like a couple of days for them. Um, just, just, and it's not really exactly chronological. Matthew's just uh, setting this up. We, we will, as we get into chapter 19 in a few weeks, uh, we will uh, begin... To head south, but um, but anyway, and don't forget, I'm gonna keep going going, but don't let me forget to say what's what the schedule is gonna look like going in the next few weeks. So the theme of reconciliation uh, continues, but it kind of broadens, uh, not just steering, uh, not just um, not leading people astray, uh, avoiding millstones and such, but now touching on the importance of short accounts. Uh, staying accountable to one another, staying connected, clearing the air when there's uh, dysfunction and, and disagreement between us. As all of that, as a fun- not just as good advice, but as a function of our relationship with Christ, who cleared the air with all of us. Um, so, uh, good, healthy relationships uh, is uh, a, and they're in reconciliation in that sense is a fruit of a good relationship with Jesus. And we need to hold on to that. Good relationships, reconciliation and good healthy relationships are a fruit of a good relationship with Jesus. And if you are refusing to be reconciled, uh, I mean, I do think we need to be wise. We're going to see just how wise we need to be when we get to the second part of this teaching. Um, but if, if we refuse to be reconciled, then we need to look and see if we're, all, if we're actually seeking the Lord um, and His will. And, and again, like, I, I, I'm just preaching to myself on that. So let's, let's begin. If your brother sins against you, Jesus is, is continuing his teaching. And of course, he doesn't, I mean, that's, a, that's an androgynous word. You know, if your brother or if anybody sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Just go privately, he says. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. Fantastic. If he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and as a tax collector. My mentor, Frank Limehouse, uh, who was the dean of the Cathedral of Advent, um, he said that um, he would always say, we don't talk about people, we talk to them. And that's a good rule of life to live by. We don't talk about people, we talk to them. It is very tempting for me, um, and probably for you as well, to talk about people, uh, to make fun of them to pe- within close context. It makes me feel better, lets off a little steam. But what it says is if somebody has sinned against you, go, go and talk to them about it. Um, that takes some courage. 
Because you don't want to, you know, at least for me, I don't want to feel like, like if it's bothering me, but I don't want to look like it's bothering me. You know, like, I don't want to look, um, I don't want to look like I, I'm, I'm not um, strong enough to handle it and I can't take it. I don't want to look uh, like I'm um, petty. But he says, if, if, if he listens, you gain a brother. That's, that's the whole goal. Now, what we want to remember, it says, if someone has sinned against you, we want to remember in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, and that's in chapter 5, I'm just, rather than quoting it, I'm just going to go back to it. Chapter 5, so if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So that's, that's a little bit different direction. That's not just saying if, if your brother has sinned against you, but if you've sinned against your brother or sister, of course. If, if you remember that, that um, someone has something against you, go and see in both directions, Jesus is telling us to go and seek reconciliation. Uh, go and seek reconciliation. And so, you've gained your brother if he does not listen. In other words, if you talk about it and you can't come to terms, then take two, uh, one or two others along with you. So Jesus isn't specific. It would be one or two. But I would suggest that when, you go, when you're telling them uh, that you're not telling them uh, as a gossip. Can you believe what this person is? I need you to come with me. But you're, you're talking to someone who is going to love them and who is going to speak truth to you. Because you may be wrong. Maybe that's why you're the, you couldn't come to terms. Maybe the issue is your own hurt uh, internally. So it is really good to have wise counsel who can speak truth to you as well. But if this wise counsel, and it's best if it is considered wise counsel by both of you, if the wise counsel uh, is, is feeling uh, like you are in the right, then go and talk with that person to the person with whom you need reconciliation. And um, that every charge may be established. That way there's witnesses in the room. But they can plead with them as well. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. Now, that, this gets dicey. Uh, I've never seen this even attempted in the Episcopal Church. My church in Birmingham, and I don't know about you, you may have stories from elsewhere or in Jacksonville or whatever. My church in Birmingham, uh, there was, there was a church, another church, a big, great big church of another denomination, and they had what they called a church discipline council. And our church was full of people who had been called into the office of the church discipline council at that other church. <laughs> because they wanted to hear the gospel, but they did not want to hear. Uh, it just felt like judgment. Always in that circumstance, there should, the goal should be reconciliation. And more than likely, if you asked any of the folks on that council, or the pastor of the church, what is the goal? They would say it's reconciliation, it's righteousness. It is, uh, it is the person who has done wrong to repent and, do, and do, turn and do right. But it doesn't always feel like that. It feels yucky. It feels like people are getting in our business. So why would Jesus say, tell it to the church? 
What do you think? Yes, Alicia. I have trouble with this a little bit because the Lord called for what I consider unspoken forgiveness. Uh, what kind of wrong are we talking about here? I mean, I, I, was, I mean, we pray it every, in my case, every night. The Lord's prayer. Yes. And it's this is, seems kind of vindictive. It seems a little vindictive. I think. I have a question. Is it the people that? I'm not. I'm not disagreeing with you. Yes. Is it the people that bringing it to the front of the church, telling it to the church, or is it the person who did it and is actually repenting and giving testimony before the church? That's where I confuse it. So the question is: Are we saying that the person who is is repenting is giving testimony? Well, that would be great. But I think I think the context is. They, they're, they're digging in their heels. And they're refusing to be reconciled. Well, it does look like that. Tell it to the church. Now, I think, this, I think it would be appropriate in that context to be talking about a, like the church elders. But, I mean, your vestry is not here to solve your problems. You know, like, that's... that's, um, that's we don't function like that. And, uh, now... So it might be good to, to come just before the, um, uh, with the pastor or maybe the leadership, something like that. But it, it would be surprising. So I don't think we're talking about during the announcements, you know, from the steps. <laughs> it's kind of what it feels. I mean, that's the image I get. Hold on just one second. I, I see it. But, um, but that's, that's, what it, that's what it feels like. But I don't, I, I don't think it necessarily needs to be that. I think you're bringing before the... the Elders of the church who have been charged with and are skilled in reconciliation. Yes. I think what Jesus was saying is bring it in front of the church in that the church is something that both people respect. The church is something that both people, in theory anyway, respect. And I, and I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Because presumably this is a community of people who love both people and will speak truth over both people. And we'll be able to have the perspective to say, hey, back up. This is not worth this. Let it go. Something. Or, listen, you were wrong. And we love you enough to tell you that. Or whatever it is. But I think, I mean, in, it, in one sense, it is wonderful to be a part of a church that doesn't get too much involved in people's business. And in another time, maybe, maybe we ought to. Now, I'm not proposing uh, you know, that we do that. I'm not ready to set up the council, although if you want to be on that, let me know. And we'll, no, I'm just kidding. Um, I know, if you need it, let me know, that's for sure. But it's, it's you know, if, if um, but I think, I think the, the idea is, the assumption that Jesus is saying is not just, not just air your dirty laundry, but, but to, let's bring it into a community that is actually charged with bringing everyone in. This is, the charge with the, these are the ninety nine that are charged with not letting the one go. John. I don't think this is, if you, a lot of times you see people go to the church and want the church to step in and do it. And that's like nauseous. Well, it's, if, if the church if the church responds and goes to the person, that's like they heard something and they're, they're going. It's not between the two people that were actually involved. Yeah, no, I think this is this this can quickly dive, div, um, it, uh, spiral into gossip. It could, yeah. but Jesus must 
feel confident enough in the, uh, at least the church in theory, that the, and the goodwill of those who are doing His will and following Him, that they will care for the relationship and, and seek out reconciliation. Yeah, but I think you first want to themselves. Well, that's what it says. Yeah, no, we're... It's not go to somebody else and have them do it. You do it. Yes, right. We're... That's why I've seen in churches where the people will go to the elders and tell the elders and the elders call the person in it Oh no, I think if the, in a situation like that, and, and of course, like again, we don't really have that, but, but in a situation like that, the elder's first responsibility is to say, well, you ha- have you done step one and two yet? Have you, have you gone to them first, and then have you taken wise counsel? Um, a lot of the times in, that, in the church, a lot of it, a lot of it was marriages, and, and that's, you know, that's, that's delicate, to say the least, to say the least. Um, then it says, and this is important, if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. Well, as a Gentile, I'm a little offended. <laughs> as a former HR Black employee, I'm offended as well. Yeah. <laughs> so we've got, we've got a Gentile and a tax collector uh, right here uh, in the room. <laughs> And actually, I'm glad you, you bring that up because at some point somebody uh, said, "We want you to be part of this church. We want we we love we think you need what we have." This is the Gospel of Matthew, also. Oh yes. Well, it is the Gospel of Matthew, but I, you're saying like it's a Jew, more Jewish gospel, no, he's yeah? Still, he's a tax oh, he's a tax collector. Yeah, yeah. So thank you. Uh, no, you're right. You're right. Long, it's been a long week. Um, the. Um, <laughs> And so, I, I mean, yes, so where at first glance it looks like, so kick them out of the church. Actually, I, said, I think it says what they need, he's saying what they need is, is evangelism. Yeah. They need to be brought in and loved on the first floor. So if they're in leadership, you know, we're going to take them out of leadership, but they, they need to, we need to go back to the basics. Assuming that they were in the wrong and not the other person. Now, they might say, forget it, I'm going to the Episcopal Church. But, you know, like that's, um, but that, that, you know, like that's just, um, I think we should be a, um, a community of believers that is willing to lovingly speak truth. You've got to be so, when somebody, I mean, I've, I've joked before, you know, somebody tells you, hey, I want to speak the truth to you in love, like just run, you know, get, get out of there. Because it's never going to be good, but I mean, we have to be a, a there has to be a context of, of love and relationship and such that we are able to have difficult conversations in a way that is, is loving and seeks reconciliation. Now, what comes uh, next seems, could seem to be unrelated, but I would say it's actually... the. Whether he said it right then, this is all part of the same teaching, or whether Matthew stuck it in here on purpose, it doesn't matter. It's, it's all related to this idea of, of um, reconciliation and, and uh, good conscience and loving community. And it doesn't 
the first one particularly, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. Now he said the same thing to Peter when Peter confessed uh, the Christ, that Jesus was the Christ. And, um, and, and I, I struggle with this, but I think this is akin to when, when Paul is saying is if, if something is against your conscience, then for you it's sin. Like it's not like it's it's not objectively sinful, but if you think it's wrong and it's and you do it anyway, then for you it's sin. Like I think that what he's saying is is that that you have to um, within your community, if you set a standard of right, then then that is what is right, and God will honor that as long as you are being faithful to God in your own heart and mind. Now, I'm. Don't tell anybody I said that. Like that, that that's, that's um, I hadn't worked that out quite enough in my mind to be really confident in that. But yeah, yeah. Well, that's right. Um, no, I, I just. I mean, of course, I'm joking about it. You can tell anybody you want, but I, but just what I mean is, I'm just. Um, early on in trying to discern that because it, I've always been befuddled by it, but it actually, I think it has to do with our own conscience in the context of what we what is right and, and wrong. And that God will honor that as long as we're being faithful, which is why like, I think the church can hold together if two people or two parties uh, are being faithful and completely at an impasse. And that doesn't make a lot of sense, but neither does the Trinity. You know, like I, so I think that I think that there is something in there that God just says, like, it's really about our relationship with you and me and with one another. Often it is, often things are objectively wrong, right or wrong, but I think there's some, sometimes there's a little gray. Joe? Yes, ma'am. I think the last part of that, especially with that last phrase, there am I among them. I think it's a way of saying that Jesus is in the community again. And if nothing else works, let Jesus lead him a little more and support and, and support him as if Jesus was there leading him. Yes. And remember that I am in that, that assembly. Yeah, I mean you're and you're I, stealing my thunder, but yeah, yeah, you're you I am the one doing the reconciliation and, and the uh, the teaching and everything else. Well, I, I love what you said because he is the reconciler. Like ultimately, if we if we seek one another out and are reconciled to one another, it's his work, not ours. Yeah. If we have the courage to go and confess, if we've sinned against someone, or if we have the courage to go and confront someone lovingly, graciously, and they have the courage to repent, that's all an act of the Spirit. He's the reconciler. So, yes, I was kind of going to take each one uh, each verse by verse, but but you're right. I mean, if we, we often say where two or three are gathered, uh, there my name, there I am among them. Like you know, this. Well, nobody showed up to Bible study, but you know, where two or three are gathered, you know, that's that's <laughs> that is. Um, it's not an excuse for to, for church decline. Uh, you know, uh, it is uh, or for poor communication or whatever leads leads to that. It is to say. That if you are agreed and you are faithful, then then you can trust that I'm in, in your midst.
Um, now, we have to, it's not just what seems good to us. We, our conscience must be driven by Scripture and what He has given. But then again, I mean, like, people look at the same Scripture and come up to different conclusions. And so, um, the church ought to be the place where we can hold those things together. So, I, um, so if... <laughs> If two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Well, what if two others uh, agree on something that's completely contrary? We have today. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Jesus is not talking about binding people. He's talking about binding situations. And I think that's important to remember. All right. Go ahead. If your brother sins against you, you're the one that's made the judgment that someone else has sinned against you. I, I, I don't know how to phrase this, but if the person you feel sinned against you has done something that's over and you can see it, like, I don't have a good example other than he slapped your kid or something like that, okay? They do that, then it's obvious. But if the sin is, as he said, a derogatory comment about you, that's a different kind of sin. But it's still the person who has been hurt that's going to the person that's accused him. He's accused this person of hurting him. But the per, as the one who has been hurt, when I go to them, I have the the aim is not to twist their arm into admitting it. The, the aim is reconciliation. And so, so yes, I'm accusing them, but I'm not getting. You know, the goal isn't to get them to come clean. The goal is to is to understand. To, to um, yeah, what what's going on with it? I mean, like. In other words, to inform. To inform this this hurt me. Yes. Yeah, I think you started saying, you did this here, I'm going to pull out First Timothy and show you where you're wrong. Like that, like, take a hike. I mean, that's... that's. But, but if that's the goal, then why do you go to the next level? Well, I think the goal is, is to gain the brother. That's, that's the... I mean, I think we have to be wise in our relationships. It's very difficult to gain a brother if you bring him in front of a church and accuse him. Well, at that point, they're digging in their heels, and it's been shown to be wise by wise counsel that they actually have sinned against you. I, I it steps is, steps before you got there. yeah, it is, it is hard, it is, but, but again, like this is what Jesus is saying, and I think it's a really, I think hopefully, it doesn't have to get to that, that we can achieve reconciliation. Or some sort of respect and agreement. You brought two friends over and you beat them to a pulp, so you don't even need to go to the church, right? I mean, hopefully we hadn't beaten them to a pulp, yeah. Let's move. Let. As, as Christians, though, I would think, what about turning the other cheek? You know, if that person hurts you, and you, but you still like them, you know, whatever, just brush it off and still love them. Yeah, if you couldn't hear Sissy, she said this is probably just talking about something really hurtful because, you know, what about turning the other cheek? Like, what about just brushing it off? Uh, and I think that's important. I mean, I think we do, 
Or we can do more damage to the relationship by confronting them. Um, or are we just chickening out? Like, I, I mean, it, I think you have to just take it situation by situation. But I think that's a really good point, and I appreciate you bringing it up. Okay. Parable of the unforgiving servant. So, Peter hears this. Like, the goal is reconciliation, which ultimately means forgiveness. And sometimes, I mean, do you need, does somebody have to say, I'm sorry for you to forgive them? No, they do not. You can forgive them in your heart, which is, I think, what Sissy's talking about. But Peter says, well, hold on a second, Lord. <laughs> how often, I mean, how many times do I need to be a doormat and let this thing happen? And, and, um, and the, the rabbis would have said three times. And so Peter doubles it and adds one. And so he's like super righteous uh, in his own mind. Peter comes up and says to him, Lord, how often my brother sinned against me, and I forgive him. Because, you know, Lord, at some point, I, I'm going to, I mean, fool me once, shame on, boy, how is it? Shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. You know, like, fool me seven times, Jesus, please, man. I mean, um, as many as seven times, like, again, he's, he's that is... He's doubled it and added one. He is, he is really up in his righteousness game. And Jesus says, uh, not seven, but 77 times. Or in one of the Gospels, it says 70 times seven. I prefer 77 to 70 times seven. Because I can't count to 440, 490. I can't multiply either. So, um, so yeah, it is... Um, I mean, obviously, whether you're counting to 77 or 490, like, it is, um, the point, you're not going to count that high. The point is you always forgive. Why do you always forgive? You only forgive if you did the three steps above. I, mean, I don't think so. This is in sequence here. Right? No, I don't, I don't. No matter how much forgive your brother. I mean, I understand, I understand all of that, but I don't understand the sequence of this. I can appreciate that. I think the sequence is, now, we, now we've left the crowd, and Peter, they're walking home from dinner, and Peter says, all right, I got one for you. Jesus, you're talking about forgiving, but how many times? Because he's, he wants to get it right. And I, I mean, what Josh said is, is absolutely right. That no matter how many times we forgive, we're not going to forgive as, many times, as much as God has forgiven us. But is forgiveness reconciliation? Is forgiveness reconciliation? Well, that's an important question. Because you're talking in the first group about reconciliation. In this group, you're talking about forgiveness. Can you reconcile and not forgive? Can you forgive and not reconcile? Well, if you couldn't reconcile, you're now a tax collector or a Gentile. Is that forgiveness? I don't think that you can... I don't think that you can reconcile without forgiving. But I do think you can forgive without being reconciled. Okay, so this is a different set of circumstances. Related but different, yes. As you said in the beginning, it sometimes reads like, Matthew decided I got nowhere else to put this, so I'm gonna put it here. Yeah, I mean maybe, maybe. Yeah. Um, 
But, you know, Peter's just puzzled. And I, I think rightly so. Because Jesus is talking about forgiveness and reconciliation and, that, and the community. And, and, um, but Peter's hung up on step one. And how many, I'm like, how many times does this have to happen? So, I, I mean, because most of the time it's just step one. So I'm going to him. I, he says he's sorry. I forgive him. We're reconciled. Boom. And then does it again. And then um, I go to him. He says he's sorry. I forgive him. And then we're reconciled. And then he does it again. And so, like, what is... And I think that Josh is absolutely right. Because, and so Jesus tells a parable to Peter. Um, and it is... I think it is a great per, a parable for our perspective and how we judge the actions of other people. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. He began to settle. One was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, a talent, as you might know, uh, was worth 20 years' wages of one worker. It was a very, very large sum of money. It's essentially a million dollars, we could just say, is one talent. And he owed him $10,000 million, which is to say, forget about repaying. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. We're just going to liquidate and get what we can out of it, right? That's what he deserved. And so the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me. I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. All right, you no longer owe me uh, $10,000 million. Now you owe me $0. Have a nice day. Like, that is a good day. You know, like, I mean, when your, your accounts get, get, uh, get cleared, you're, you're, somebody pays off your credit card for you, that's a good day, man. That's a good day. When somebody, not going to go there. Um, <laughs> not going to go there. Um, and, you know, but rejoice. Okay, great. You're out of debt. Rejoice with that. Um, and, and so... The, the master is, the king is the one who was owed, and the king is the one who bears the cost. And so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him. Oh, so, sorry, I, I missed. But when his, that same servant went out, he saw one of his fellow servants, so now his peer, who owed him a hundred denarii. Well, that's a hundred days' wages. Not, not what, 10,000 times 20 years, but, but, uh, but a hundred days, that's, that's not insignificant. He owes him, I don't know what, $20,000 $20, or something. That's, that's, that's a lot of money. Seizing him, began to choke him, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and did the same thing. Have patience with me, I'll pay you. And he refused and went and put him in prison until she, he should pay the debt. His fellow servants saw what had taken place. They were distressed. And when they went and reported to their master all that had taken place, his master called him back. And said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you the debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I have mercy on you. So this is exactly what Joshua was talking about. No matter how much we forgive, we'll never be forgiven as much as the master has forgiven us. And this is what Jesus is talking about when he says, forgive, 
our trespasses as we have forgiven those who trespass against us. So let me ask you this. How hard, how hard is it for you to forgive? Are you one of the kind of people that hold, holds a grudge? Holds on? Depends on the circumstance. You know, it's the, it's the same question as what is the sin? What is the what sin? What are you trying to forgive and forget? It's, or at least for me, it is. But in God's eyes, there's no big sin, no little sin. All That's sin right. is sin. Yeah, but I'm not God. <laughs> no, thank God. <laughs> I mean, all of that is true. Yeah. Especially the latter. Yeah. You can forgive and not forget. I, I, I would agree with that. You know, I think it's easy to sit here and say, you know, I forgive and I get first blush. I'm like, yeah, I can't think of any grudges I really hold. But then you think, like, you know, trying to think of a specific person that you don't like well why don't you like them is it because they you have something that you harbor against them that you haven't forgiven and there are those little non-forgivenesses i think that we're recent that focus on the big ones you know or, or the highly specific things but i mean i get just for some reason this one person at work that i used to work with a couple years ago popped in my head and i really didn't like her well why was that that's because you can forgive her in your head but not your heart uh, that's true also, absolutely. So there's this, I, 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 it's been a very long time since I read that book, The Shack, and I never saw the movie. And you can, I mean, some people love it and some people hate it, and I'm not here to say one way or the other, but I, there's this, uh, the premise is that uh, this man uh, had his son, or his daughter maybe, when his child was, daughter was kidnapped and, and ultimately murdered. And, um, and the, he go. He meets God, and the Father um, walks him through forgiveness of the person who murdered his child. And as I remember it, he takes a step and says, "I forgive you," and then takes one more step physically and has to say it again. And then he takes one more step and has to say it again. And I just think that that's a really beautiful picture of forgiveness on difficult things. I heard somebody say something to the effect of unwillingness to forgive is the... Uh, no, how is it? Basically, when, we, when we're holding on to um, unforgiveness, then we're hoping for a future that we... All right, here it is. <laughs> Unforgiveness is the hope of a better past. Mm-hmm. Unforgiveness is the hope of a better past. In other words, you're not going to change your past. Like, but you just hope it's, you want it to be different. You don't want it to be the way it was. And so you, you just live in this prison. The other person may not even know that you're having something against them. Unless you told them you did, and then you might need to ask for their forgiveness uh, also. 
And so it's just like it, this is, a, I would say, in a sense, a very case by case basis. But the, the, the whole premise, back to step one, is that the master has forgiven us a debt that we were hopeless to repay. That's, that's the foundation of our whole life. That's humility that, um, that, is, that we're talking about in the sermon. That is, that is the, the uh, foundation for everything in the Christian life is that we have been forgiven a debt that we couldn't pay. And we were rightly cast out, but instead of being cast out, liquidated, as it were, we were, um, uh, we were set free. And so, how does that inform the nooks and crannies of our life? Jim? I see um, forgiveness as the way that we heal. The victim heals. Um, even if the, uh, the aggressor doesn't ask for forgiveness or seek it, we have to forgive them in order to move on with our lives because that unforgiveness destroys us. It's heavy. It's like carrying a heavy load. Unforgiveness can destroy us. It's like carrying a heavy load. I, I agree. I agree. It's, it's letting ourselves out of the cage, not not them. Yeah. Yes. Linda. So unforgiveness puts a barrier between us and God. Yes, absolutely. And, and yet, let me just say, so yes, it does. And yes, we're the ones that need to be released. I agree with all of those things. And yes, it is really, really hard. And sometimes we say it, and then we take it right back. And we've got to say it again. Sissy and then Katie. About probably 25, 30 years ago when I was teaching, had a, one of the teachers was a very dear friend. And at the end of the day, she came, students were gone, she opened my door and she said, Sissy, and I said, yes. She said, I just have to tell you, you really hurt my feelings today. Well, I was crushed. I had no idea what I had done. And said, and when she told me, I said, oh my gosh, I did not mean that in the way that you took it, and I am so sorry. Mm-hmm. Please forgive me, you know, and I hugged her, and she said, okay, I just thought I would let you know. That meant so much mm-hmm. to me that I have remembered it all these 30 years. Um, so that if you do have just something small, you know, to just tell them if it's annoying at you or whatever, and, and then let them explain. Maybe they didn't mean it that way at all. I think there's, you know, one thing I have to do because I, I, I get overly sensitive sometimes, especially with, with Amy. I mean, you know how marriage works, and so, um, <laughs> and, and and so I have to, I'm, I've learned. I mean, we just had our 24th anniversary, which is awesome. I have, but it took me a lot of years to learn to say, is that. Is the way that I perceive that in what in in um, in character with what I know? Like I I know I know her character, and I think it felt like that was you know mean or or against me or something. Is that in character? And actually, the answer is almost always no. It's not. So I can give her the benefit of the doubt. That has taken some maturing on my part. Um, but I, it sounds like your friend would say, "Well, I, I, Sissy's not the kind of person that's going to." 
intentionally hurt me, so I'm going to go and tell her and so we can be reconciled. So there's a trust there, but also maturity. And she trusted. Now you could have said, well, who are you? that's your problem, not mine. I can't control how you take things. That doesn't work. I've tried it. Um, and, um, and, and, you know, that's, she trusted your maturity to hear it as well. So I think there is, there's a lot of times before we have that conversation, that's not a, it's not a knee-jerk reaction. We've got to do a lot of internal work first uh, before we're even ready. So... Final word. Right? Oh, I said Katie, and then and then in Charlotte, Katie and then Charlotte. I was I was very blessed. Decades ago, we had a prayer seminar, and we were on unforgiveness. And one of the best tools I was ever given was when you're having that hard time, ask God to help you want to forgive, and then pray for the person whom you don't forgive yet. Yeah. And it's almost impossible not to reconcile with them if you've been doing that regularly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's real hard to pray for them instead of against them and still um, not not forgive them in your own heart. Last word, Charlotte. I was just going to say that I think that sometimes you can acknowledge the hurt. For sure. But forgive the person. And, and also, depending... Remove yourself from a situation where you know it's going to continue because maybe that's just the way that person happens to be. Yeah, it, it doesn't mean that you have to you know, marry them or invite them on, you know, to dinner every Friday night or something like that. It just it just means, it just, well, I mean, unless you're already married to them. But the, um, um, yeah, you know, I mean, it just, you still need to be wise, but uh, of course. Um, so we're going to stop right there because i got to go to church, but the, and most of you do too. But the um, uh, next week is Labor Day weekend. Uh, Officer Whitrock will be with us for the one cop thing that we, that we had to cancel a few weeks back. Um, and then I will be gone, and I'm not exactly sure what's uh, happening for, for that week, but, uh, but someone will be here to, to lead record form. And then we have confirmation. I'm hoping the bishop will come in and we can do Q&A with him. Uh, and then we'll get back to, if he can't do it, then we'll do Matthew 19 then. So it's a little up in the air, but we'll look, look in the e-news and we'll, we'll tell you what's happening. All right. God bless you. Go to church.